Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Rank FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back with another new idea and a new series. We're hoping to make part of the Ranks canon. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm excited about all these different things we're trying out and, and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah. But we're going to go back to a format we actually used very briefly in the BR Football Ranks days, which was Quick Ranks. I think the last time we did a Quick Rank, we were with Mike McGee in a Chicago pizza house talking oh, about really? pizzas. So this is really a blast from the past. We're going to make it more football than that day, which was purely about pizzas. But we're going to talk about... Some fails from across 2023, some of the big opportunities missed, some of the big players that have, have 
kind of missed the boat on various things. Some teams who have really, really struggled in the second half of this season in particular. It's going to be an interesting one, but we're going to look at some bits from the season that haven't quite gone to plan. Yeah, we're getting towards the end of 2023. And um, before we celebrate all that was good about it, I think it... It's fitting that we also look at um, some absolute melons of the year, basically. That's not what we're going to call the show, but there's been some melonish uh, footballing going on. Um, that's from individual points of view and that's from uh, team points of views as well. So I'm going to start with the players today. And I, I think it's important to point out that like in this show, like it's it's kind of fun, it's kind of serious, but it's certainly not getting involved in stuff that's gone on with the likes of like Sandro Tonali or Anthony. Like this is not the stuff that goes beyond football. So if it involved any sort of like police investigation or anything like that, like I'm not, I'm not assessing that here. I'm, I'm looking at um, who from some sort of footballing perspective has had a really bad 2023, um, particularly considering what might have been. I think that's probably the best way to dress this up. Disappointments as opposed to failures, perhaps. Possibly, yeah. I mean, you could argue that not everyone here would be particularly disappointed with their year, but I'll give you an idea of where we're heading because in my top three of of big fails of of 2023, um, I've got Brendan Aronson. Now, it really has been a bad year for Brendan Aronson. Uh, obviously, a lot of our listeners are in the USA and will have a very keen eye on the way that Aronson's career progresses. And at the moment, it's not progressing. It's regressing. He joined Leeds United from RB Salzburg for £25 million in 2022. And he was really excited about launching a Premier League career. His start was decent. The stats weren't amazing, but he started every game up until the new year. He had a goal and two assists and generally the intensity of his play and things like that. You Okay, okay he's just taking time to bed into the Premier League, but we know what Aaron's, Aronson's about. We know how he can play and we're pretty sure that he can fit in here. Since the turn of 2023, he has had a really bad time. 20 appearances and one assist in the league for Leeds. Uh, by the end of last season uh, and by the time we came to the end of the campaign I mean Sam Allardyce just had absolutely no interest in him did he he was completely left out of things and Leeds were relegated so his Premier League dream was basically dead not only that he was out of the team Leeds were out of the Premier League and he was loaned out to Union Berlin not completely because he was pushed out I think partly he wanted out probably wanted to get his career back on track a little bit refocus let's see how it's gone his current stats For this season, 14 appearances, zero goals, zero assists. Of those 14 appearances, only five of them are starts at Union Berlin. This is just not good enough for where the player expected to be at this stage of his career. Um, Obviously, in there is a good player. We know that. But when you consider what the expectations of 2023 were, and you consider where he's at right now, His stock has plummeted. Um, He hasn't been good enough. Some criticisms of him would be that he goes to ground too easy. Often he seems like he gets into good positions around the box, but he's too busy trying to win a free kick than he is to actually make something happen. And often at Leeds, they felt that one of the problems with him is that in those key areas of the pitch, it would often be that he would lose the ball. They'd overturn play. 
and actually Leeds would suddenly be on the back foot and possibly even concede a goal. Now, I don't know if there's a way back at Leeds. I don't know what happens to Brendan Aronson from here. All I know is that 2024 needs to get off to a good start for him because I want him to do well. And at the moment, he seems to be on the floor. Yeah, there was a brilliant interview with him on The Athletic. I think it was Stuart James that did it, where he he spoke really openly about all of these things and about the fact that he's really struggling to get any rhythm at the moment. And and I think that that was an interesting thing. The fact that he was pushed out of that Leeds team as they sort of struggled towards the end of last season, obviously the managerial changes and the shifts around will not have helped him. But then he was talking about, you know, a lack of confidence and not allowing that to undermine his own self-belief, which was, you know, kind of knocked, I think, by what happened at Leeds, not just his performances, but also, you know, the cycle that the club found themselves in. He's been unlucky in many ways in that when he joined Union this summer, they were a club that had just qualified for the Champions League for the first time. They were a very settled unit and he looked like he'd actually fit in really nicely with what was going there under Urs Fischer. Now, this season has been an unmitigated disaster for Union Berlin. And so when you actually look at how that's panned out, it's it's very much not his fault that they have been so bad. I think it was, what, 13 straight defeats they had at one point, then they drew with Napoli and then lost again. So it's been two very difficult scenarios and circumstances for Brendan Aronson, but these are the situations, I suppose, that as a young player, you want to learn learn from, right? Because everything was pretty smooth sailing at Salzburg, and it usually is because they dominate the Austrian league. They are able to sort of give a good account of themselves in the Champions League without having any undue pressure on them to, to go and be at the very sharp end of the tournament. And then you move to a different environment in the Premier League, you know, working with someone like Jesse Marsh, who he fit really well with and nicely in terms of the style that, that Marsh wanted to play. And then that's all kind of pulled from underneath your feet. And when you kind of think about all of those different elements, there's definitely sort of circumstantial mitigation to the performances that Aaron's has put in. But I think you're right. What what needs to happen now is he needs to use that as a springboard and a launch pad and go, right, okay, what bits weren't working for me? What do I need to improve on? And how do I make 2024 a redemption arc here? Look, we do a redemption podcast most years and we talk about those stories about players who have redefined themselves after a tough couple of seasons. And I'd love to be talking about Brendan Aronson, you know, when we come to that next year. But mm. right now it looks pretty messy we haven't really seen what's going to be the Union future. And we don't know what that looks like because it's been the US Fisher system for so long. Now, how does he sort of make his mark and, and make a stamp on that side in the Bundesliga to start to raise that stock back up? But yeah, it's, it's been a tough, tough 2023. And hopefully 2024 is a better year for him. Mm, hope so. Let's give him a bounce back rating. I've just thought of this off the top of my head while you were talking, but I think this is a good thing to put actually at the end of, of each of these segments. A bounce back rating out of 10 in 2024 for Brendan Aronson. I'm going to give him a seven. I believe in him. What do you give him? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit wary in terms of, I think he has the ability and talent to, to bounce back and, and, and work for a specific club. I think it's difficult to kind of exactly work out what that looks like for Union right now because they're a bit of a mess. But whether that is 
in January or whether that then comes next summer where he has to try and make that move. Look, Brendan Aronson was linked with Fulham in the summer and I was really excited about that. I thought that actually the way that he plays football would have really nicely fitted with what Marco Silva's trying to do at Craven Cottage. And when he went to Union, I sort of was like, well, that's fair enough. They're a Champions League club this season. And now he's moved to a place where the Bundesliga should, you know, theoretically suit the way that Brendan Aronson plays. And that actually looks like a, a pretty good move, you know, in foresight. In hindsight, it looks less like a good move right now, considering the way that the season has panned out. But I still think there's talent in there. I'm just unsure exactly how that gets unlocked right now. And it might take till the summer and somewhere else if things don't turn around pretty quickly at Union. Okay, good stuff. Uh, number two, Jordan Henderson. Yeah. This is very different. This is very different. Now, look, he wasn't the most likely of Liverpool heroes, really, when you consider his early years. There was even a moment when Liverpool tried to send him to Fulham. Talk about Aronson going to Fulham. Henderson could have ended up at Fulham because they a were trying to sign ago. Yeah. Clint Dempsey and send him in the other direction. That's how Henderson was once thought of at Liverpool. But he became one of the most professional, dedicated, reliable players in the Premier League. One with them, he became like intrinsic to their values. And it feels like he threw all of that away. Henderson is an epic fail, I believe, of 2023 after making the decision to move to Saudi Arabia. Um, so Al Etifak uh, set up a Liverpool captain's retirement home uh, last year, this year rather, uh, by taking Steven Gerrard as manager <laughs> and Jordan Henderson as one of their star players uh, over to the Saudi Pro League. And he's over there right now, sitting in like seventh in the league. Um, uh, he's earning ridiculous money. He's playing in crowds that are far short of what he was used to at Anfield sometimes. And sometimes. More, than anything, more than anything, uh, I'm being trying to be kind. Uh, but of course, he's raised an issue of moral standards. Uh, so during his time at Liverpool, he'd been a leading voice in the LGBTQ plus community. And we just go back to October 2022. This is the message that Henderson was sending out. He said, I've regularly worn rainbow laces and today will be no exception because this kind of visible support can only have a positive impact. It also sends the powerful message that football is for everyone. And the more of us who can take this message back into our homes, workplaces and daily lives, the better. The more we can understand, the more we learn and the more we can stand together on issues like this, the more we will move towards the kind of inclusive society that is more welcoming of everyone. Then he moved to Saudi Arabia, a country which criminalizes homosexuality. Hmm, not so sure about this one, Jordan. Uh, since then, he's said that he will not risk disrespecting the religion and the culture in Saudi Arabia by wearing rainbow, rainbow laces or by wearing a rainbow captain's armband. He now gets booed when he plays for the England national team. He's lost quite a lot of respect in football. He's playing at a lower footballing standard. I think generally there's a long, long way back here for Jordan Henderson. And ultimately, I think that over the course of 2023, Jordan Henderson's reputation has been left tarnished. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to disagree with that. It was a really interesting interview with Blackpool's Jake Daniels, who was the first openly gay British male professional footballer, I think, Justin Fashionu, back in 
well, the 1990s. And he said some very interesting things. He said, he said that Matt Henderson had messaged him when he came out. He was backing me and saying, what well, proud of what you've done. Seeing him to move to Saudi Arabia, it kind of like slaps me in the face. Obviously, it was frustrating, but I guess the money pays well and money must mean more to people. That's a pretty brutal takedown, you mm -hmm. know, from someone who clearly saw Jordan Henderson as a, you know, as a hero figure. And, and I think that's what I would describe this year being. It's been sort of hero to zero, right, for a lot of people in terms of what Jordan Henderson represents and I think you're right that when we're looking at actually the performances the the level of football he's playing at at the moment isn't great we're talking about these crowds that you mentioned there very very few people turning out to see Al Etifak and, and Jordan Henderson and then that kind of reception when he returns to the England national team which has been kind of exacerbated by the fact that Gareth Southgate appears to have double standards in terms of where people are playing and what they're doing you know, depending on who they are. And I think that all of that in one big capsule has probably meant that Jordan Hem Henderson's reputation is lower than, you know, it's you know been for a long, long time. And look, there are lots of different factors to this, but I don't think that anyone's going to look at that year, apart from maybe, you know, Jordan Henderson's bank manager and go, 2023 has been a real successful one for, for Jordan. I think that there are a lot of bridges burned, which are going to take a long time to build back if indeed that's what he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, from a personal financial security point of view, he's got a nice blanket over him now um, if it wasn't good enough already. But at some point, he is going to be looking to reintegrate with the English football setup and he's going to have to go on a big PR push to win people over because it will not be easy and 2023 will be the year that determined that difficulty for him so yeah a long way back there for Jordan Henderson at number one in this list it really has come down to football and I was thinking right who's the player really that stands out as somebody who looks like they were set for really big things this year football wise and it just hasn't worked out then there was one name that just stuck out a mile it's Richarlison. At the 2022 World Cup a year ago, Richarlison built himself a platform to launch himself into a different stratosphere of football to where he'd ever been before, I think. He had joined Spurs like six months earlier, a £60 million sign-in, one of their biggest transfers ever in history. And we thought after that World Cup, yeah, I think Richarlison might be ready here. This is it. Like he's leading the line for Brazil. Maybe you can share some of the responsibility with Harry Kane. Maybe he just needed some confidence. The World Cup went really well for him. You might remember he even won goal of the tournament. A beautiful bicycle kick against Serbia. Like literally one of the moments of the World Cup. Then he picked up a little hamstring issue. His next goal contribution was an assist against Nottingham Forest in March. And he only scored one goal before the end of the 22-23 season. Then in the summer of 2023, Harry Kane left Tottenham. So that left us thinking, well, if they're not going to buy anyone, the only person here really capable of being that person is surely Richarlison. He was expected to pick up the role. Now, look, he's not a natural number nine, but he leads the line for Brazil. Why couldn't he do it for Tottenham? Who's leading the line now? It's Son. It's not Richarlison. This season, 
Richarlison has played 11 games and he's got two goals. This level of return that we've seen from Richarlison over the course of 2023 is nowhere close to what would be expected of a £60 million footballer. He's actually back in the news over the last week or so because Everton obviously getting this points deduction for overspending. And and one of the things that Everton uh, threw out there was they say that their problems stem from the fact of Spurs refused to pay 80 million for a Charleston and would only pay 60. And if they'd have paid 80, all their problems would have been sorted. Tottenham thinking, really? You want us to pay 80 million for him? You're lucky we gave you 60. Um, Richarlison, a lot to be worked out on what happens here. There is potential that he ends up with Jordan Henderson in Saudi Arabia in 2024, the way things are going. That's the only place that seems willing to pay anything close to the money that Spurs originally spent on this player. Um, But from what I'm told, Ange Postacoglu is willing to persist with this and definitely for the rest of this season, if he doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia, if Tottenham can't recoup their money, then he'll stick this out. He's got a manager there that's very personable, very much somebody that if you're putting in the effort will give you the opportunities. But this is it for a Charleston at Tottenham. 18 months down the line, has to be considered a flop at this moment in time. But there's still a chance there because they still haven't bought a replacement for Harry Kane. And Richarlison, he's running out of time to do this. Yeah. But he could do it. Um, by the way, we didn't give Jordan Henderson a bounce back rating. We'll do both I'm of gonna... them at the end of this one. Yeah. Well, I'm... actually, I'm just going to tell you now, Jordan Henderson's getting a bounce back rating of two from me. Okay. Um... <laughs> Fair enough. Um, leave that but, but Richarlison... We'll get to in a second because I'll be interested to hear what your view is on Richarlison in this moment. When again, he's 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 just had uh, another little injury problem which he's trying to overcome. Can he actually ever turn this around? I think if you're in this situation and you're Richarlison, having Ange Postecoglou as your boss is a very good thing because those opportunities will come around. He will defend you in front of the press. He will continue to to provide opportunities. But this is, I think you're right. I think this is a make or break six months for Richarlison. He's 26, which is not as old as I thought he might be at this point. You know, when you just sort of have, <laughs> have a head, you have an idea in your head about how old someone is. I had probably had him about two years further down the line. He doesn't turn 27 till May. <laughs> and I think that there is a real opportunity here for him to remind everyone of just what a talented footballer we saw at Watford and then at Everton, the, you know, the footballer that made Spurs play that kind of money to, to bring him in. Richarlison is great. Look, there are some big question marks about what this season looks like. And I think a lot of those are potentially off the field. You know, we saw that breakdown in the, into tears when he was on Brazil duty about some of the performances he'd been putting in. And I think maybe the key here is that he's clearly frustrated with himself. He really doesn't feel that he's hitting the levels that he expects of himself. And I think that's a sign of good character. I think that's a sign that there is something in there waiting to get out and and be like, I need to be able to play my football. And I think the injuries have come at pretty annoying times for Richarlison. But I really did think that this was a real nice fit at the start of the season. I thought that Andrew would persist as with Richardson as a number nine because of what he brought to that team and the way that he set up his side at Celtic. And I still think that he will get those opportunities. 
but it has to be something has to click something has to to give with Richarlison in order that he'll be able to maintain a spot in the team you know for for a sustained period of time because right now we're seeing that link between Son and Madison really working for Ange we're seeing Kulisevsky perform you know in in the other roles and so what we're kind of waiting for from Richarlison is that moment where he goes no I'm I'm, I'm not going away this is my opportunity to make things happen and he has to find that at the start of 2024 or else this six months is going to be a long one and then in the summer Spurs are going to fail to recoup that money whereas I think Mm -hmm. that if he has some sort of renaissance season there will be signs that Spurs can persist or there will be people willing to take a gamble because there's that flicker that spark that you're starting to see light up again but these six months are absolutely massive yeah Absolutely, yeah. So, coming in, a bounce-back rating for Richarlison because I think everybody's in a bit of trouble here. I think if Spurs don't sell him to Saudi Arabia, I don't see him ever getting that £60 million back. For Richarlison, I don't think he'll play for a a club in the Premier League again at this level. I think he would have to drop down. And again, that's not going to be for a £60 million move if that was to happen. So, I think he'd have to be abroad. Oh, a bounce back rating in terms of this working out at Tottenham is a four. Working out at Tottenham or working out full stop? Tottenham. At Tottenham, I think I, I would go higher than that. I would say I would say a six. I think his Ooh. general bounce back rating is probably a seven. I actually would also have given Aronson an eight. But I'm pretty confident that Brendan Aronson is going to work it out. But I think at Tottenham, six for Charleston, generally seven. Hmm. There you go. Okay. Well, I'll send that to Richarlison because he'll appreciate that optimism. Yeah, well, look, we're all, uh, we're, I, I am full of optimism. I'm the happy member of this podcast. You're a nice so guy. It is, it is one of those, but I do hope he sorts it out because there is definitely a footballer in there, um, a real player waiting to, to re-emerge. What a goal it was game. against Serbia, man. If, you, if you've forgotten Richarlison's World Cup goal, go and check it out. Like, remind yourself. Ridiculous. It was brilliant. Yeah, very, very good. Very, very good. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we're going to be looking at a few clubs more generally, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. We're moving from players to clubs as we're looking at some disappointments, some fails of 2023 here on Quick Ranks. Over to you, Mr. Dean Jones. Yeah, so three football teams that have not lived up to expectation or at least come short of where they should be and their year is really disappointing. And the first one actually is not a club football team. It's an international football team. And this disappointment has just hit home because Norway have failed to qualify for Euro 2024. That means that Erling Haaland will not be there. Neither would his mate Martin Odegaard. And that is a massive failure and a massive disappointment. In their qualifying group, they've ended up finishing behind both Spain and Scotland. But worse than that, they haven't even managed to make it into the playoffs. They've fallen short of that as well. This failure to that qualify... That was for 2022, to be fair. We can't, we can't hold that against them for 2023. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. But still... Sorry, they're not getting away with this one. Um, they had they had an opportunity to make up for 2022 here and they, they fell short. This isn't really a new thing with Norway. They often um, fail to produce and I think that they should be doing better than this. They are not progressing to the stage that they should be 
the players that they have available to them because it's not just Haaland. It's not even just Odegaard. This is a a, a Norwegian uh, footballing time when they have a lot of capability because they've got a really good young crop coming through. And it's not even like Haaland's not producing. Like I think he's doing all right, to be honest with you. It's just that the whole team ethos is not coming together. Norway haven't been at a Euros since year 2000. And this is just something which needs to be fixed quickly because they've got a really good opportunity here. And I'm personally disappointed at this, mate. I, I think that I, I did really expect them, especially this Euros, when it's all opened up a bit more, to be there. And I think it's a disaster that Erling Haaland is not going to be there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much you can say apart from this has been a real letdown. Obviously, the qualifiers began in March. Norway have a little bit of mitigating circumstances there in terms of the fact that the Norwegian league runs through the summer. So they're not, you know, the players who are playing domestically aren't quite as ready for those March qualifiers as perhaps teams who have a winter league. But the amount of talent on show in this Norway side now that is playing outside of Norway should be able to mitigate those circumstances. And actually, you know, the the start of these qualifiers, the first three games, they lost 3-0 away to Spain. Fine, acceptable, not great, but Spain are Spain. But they drew one all against Georgia in Tbilisi. And look, Georgia's, Georgia's form at home is actually very, very good. That 7-1 loss to Spain aside... But they lost. They drew one all in Georgia and then lost 2-1 at home to Scotland. And that was not ideal. And that game was in June, right? So there's not even, there's not even the mitigating circumstances for that. Now, this Scotland side are good, right? And, and I don't want to take anything away from that because Steve Clark's done a wonderful job with Scotland. But if you are qualifying and you want to be qualified for major tournaments, these are games you have to be winning. And I, I think it's really interesting looking at the kind of Norway population size. They're 5.5 million people. So it's a small country, right? But look at someone like Croatia, who are under 4 million and regularly make a serious attempt, not just at qualifying for tournaments, but reaching the latter stages of them. And I think that when you compare this Norway generation coming through to the generations that we've seen from, from teams who have qualified relatively regularly, someone like Wales, right? 3 million people in Wales who've had a really good run of tournament football over the last decade. Norway will be expecting to do better. And whilst I'm not going to pin that 2022 failure in the Nations League on this, so the playoffs I kind of take aside, you've got to be looking at, if you are a team that boasts the best striker in the world and one of the Premier League's preeminent playmakers, and as you say, this is a side with talent through it. It's not perfect, but there are definitely some serious footballers in the way that this Norwegian side can look to, to move forward. To lose this convincingly to a Scotland side, you know, whose calibre individually is probably not as good as yours, is not good enough for this Norway side. And whilst, I'm, you know, this, this team has a bright future, I think, and they will start to qualify for tournaments and they will get this right, but it makes a mockery of kind of the players you have if you're not able to get them into games and get them controlling games. If you have Erdegaard and Haaland and you are not creating chances and finishing chances, something is going drastically wrong in the way that this team is set up. And that's, I think, the thing that I hold highest against Norway because 
they are, they should be a lot better and a lot further along in this process than they are already. Absolutely. Well said that man. Right. At number two, we are going into club football and we are focusing on Ajax Amsterdam. What a disaster. Usually in Dutch football, if Ajax are second in the league, it's a crisis. Earlier this month, Ajax fell to the bottom of the Eredivisie. Yes, they had games in hand, but they were still bottom of the table. It's been an absolute mess. They stuck with uh, manager Moritz Stein for too long. Um, he's now gone, but it's kind of too late. Um, Ajax have just endured their worst ever start to a season in Eredivisie. It's been... Honestly, just a complete catastrophe. It's got worse and worse and worse at one point throughout the season. The fans were rioting. We saw the images across social media and the videos. Like It's been absolute carnage at Ajax this season. And it's just something that you're not led to expect. Now, look, that there are issues around this as to why it's happened. And um, a lot of the narrative as to why it's been the case is generally conceived to be the fact that the team wasn't built like a typical Ajax team and that they were also lacking experience and leadership. There were too many young and experienced players. I believe it was actually when Stein came into Ajax, I think it was the youngest squad in the division. Now, obviously, if you've got the Ajax way ingrained in you, then you can probably survive that. But this particular crop of Ajax players just haven't had the capability to to pull themselves through it. Now, they are starting to come out the other side a little bit now, but in terms of what Ajax have been built upon for years and years and years, 2023 will be remembered as an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, yeah, undoubtedly. I think, you know, it's it's easy to forget that just four years ago, there was that ridiculous run when we saw Ajax win the Champions League in people's hearts, I think is the it is the phrase that's been thrown around before. And this was a side, you know, who were, what, seconds away from making the Champions League final, who, you know, were unbelievably fun to watch and had turned the club around from not quite a crisis point compared to where we are right now or where we were, actually, a couple of months ago. It has, it has improved. A couple but, of weeks ago, maybe. Yeah. But it was still not a club that looked like it was going somewhere. And and they kind of had this complete overhaul, right? When Johan Cruyff sort of initiated a reshape in 2012 and it was Dennis Bergkamp, Wim Jonk and Mark Overmars. Um, and then when Bergkamp was sacked, I think Edwin van der Sar came in and there was a couple of other players brought in as well. The problem is that Mark Overmars decided to be a really horrible bloke and he was eventually sacked because of, of this behavior inappropriate behavior towards female colleagues and it basically since then has been just a disaster frankly and i don't want to put too much acumen on overmars considering what we've just said right but actually in terms of on the pitch stuff and i know that these things can't be separated but he had helped to reshape this thing under eric ten Hag. there were brilliant talents coming through a lot of homegrown talent and in the kind of network that they'd built for bringing players in was incredible, right? We saw players like Anthony, Lissandra Martinez, 
Edson Alvarez, Mohamed Kadus, Kasper Dolberg, Ziyech, all sold for, sold for massive fees. And then there was this homegrown pipeline coming through who also all went for massive fees. De Jong, De Ligt, Van der Beek. Serginio Dest even went for a massive fee to Barcelona, right? So at that point, you're going, okay, Ajax are just doing the cycle. But the replacements never came. And since then, it's been sort of a very, very... Well, it started slowly, but it's a little bit like a, a boulder rolling down a hill, right? They started to get a bit worse, a bit worse, and then they were a lot worse, and then the whole thing fell apart. And last year, they brought in Alfred Schroeder, who was, I think, Eric Ten Hag's number two. And they were like, fine, no problem. He'll be fine. He wasn't good. And then Johnny Heitinger had to come in, kind of saved the club a little bit, turned things around, managed to steer them. It was a third place finish, but it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, it did mean no Champions League football. And then we've seen Edwin van der Sar have to step down because of in, you know illness and, and saying he was knackered. And then Sven Mislintat comes in. He basically had a mandate that he needed to sell players in order to meet regulations and cut down salaries. And instead, basically, they've brought in lots of inexperienced players. They haven't been able to rally under Morris Stein's banner because Morris Stein was really quite strange in many ways. And there were there was there was concern about that appointment, but not to the point where they were like, oh, he might alienate a lot of this young crop we're bringing through. And that's what happened in the end. We saw those pictures of him refusing to shake a player's hand after subbing him off after 20 minutes in the game against Feyenoord that eventually was, you know, abandoned. It's just all very uncomfortable. And whilst I can see Ajax steadying the ship, I can't see them turning things around properly for a little while. It's going to take a real rebuild to actually get this Ajax side firing again. And 2023, as you say, unmitigated disaster. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, in fact, I'm surprised you put anyone ahead of this because I think that this is about as tough as it gets. In terms of a crash, you're right. It is as bad as it gets. But there's only one reason I consider this team at number one to have had a worse year. And that's because I spent a billion pounds. <laughs> it's Chelsea. Coming. You can't spend a billion pounds and be this bad. Can we just remind ourselves of what Chelsea have done over the course of the last year? In January, they bought Benoit Badiashile for £33 million. They spent £10 million to take Jao Felix on loan for a little while. Literally, a little while. They bought Mikhailo Mudrik, who they didn't need, for £89 million. They bought Noni Madueke for £35 million. They bought Enzo Fernandez for £106.8 million. Uh, there's others. There's others. I'm not going to list them all. But that were the main big signings. Of the January well, transfer. Oh, the January window. one. I was like, you've missed Moises. Of January, <laughs> right? And they ended up finishing 12th in the league. 12th in the league, right? Even Fulham beat them. And then yeah, you get to bad. the summer and you think, oh, surely they can't do that again. Do you want to bet, mate? Moises Caicedo, £115 million. Romeo Lavia, £58 million. Christopher Nkunku, £53 million. Cole Palmer, £40 million. Axel de Sassi, £38 million. Nicholas Jackson, £32 million. It goes on and on and on. There are like six, seven other signings all the way down to Jordi Petrovic, a goalkeeper they didn't really need for £14 million. Like, it has been incessant spending. Where are Chelsea right now, as we record this podcast, 10th in the Premier League. That is honestly unreal. 
Like, look, yes, Chelsea might be finally on the verge of turning a corner. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. Christopher Nkunku's lacing up his boots again. He's going to get out on the turf. We've seen them pick up a couple of results recently that suggest they might be about to come into form. But let's judge them, as we have to, over the course of 2023 for this podcast. And they've barely won a game, mate. Eight league wins across the year up to now. In April, they went through a six-game losing streak. Chelsea don't do that. Chelsea do not do that, especially when they have spent this much money and have an expectation to be so good. During that period, they went nine games without a win. It was ridiculous. You would turn up and play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge expecting to win. That's how bad they were. They started to settle things out. But for everything else that you could argue will be good, it hasn't been good. And I honestly don't think even a Chelsea fan could defend 2023 because at least nine and a half months of it were rubbish. Yeah, I, I can accept that. I think that that's fair. I, I do think that they are on the verge of turning a corner and I do think that Chelsea are going to return to the top table of English football quite soon. But you're right. What do you mean Actually, by that? Do you, you think they're at... going to qualify for the Champions League this season? No, but I think they will next season. And I think they might title challenge next season. But we, we are where we are. And, and you're right. You have to only look at what we've seen across 2023. And yeah, I mean, this is it. When, when you get, and you know, a lot of my very good friends are Chelsea fans. And they have been miserable, like miserable for most of 2023. And, and I suppose that that actually is, is the answer. Now, sometimes you have to burn the house down in order to build a new house, right? But it doesn't, you ever change, done that? But it doesn't change the <laughs> fact that there's been a house fire, right? And I think that's the way that I would, I would probably look at it. They might build an incredible, incredible new palace mm. on, on the kind of ruins of what's gone before. But everything has been on fire at Stamford Bridge for the last nine and a half months. You're right. And the results are just starting to turn the corner. There has been an incredible amount of spending and Chelsea have got round the regulations in some very creative ways. And I'm sure that their accountants are, are being paid a pretty penny to actually make that work. And you know what, if, if it works, then people will look at it and go, that's very smart. They've been very clever about how they've done that. But right now, we're still yet to see the fruits of that. Now, I think it will. I think it will come to fruition, but 2023, you're right, has been dreadful. If we were doing bounce back ratings, though, I'd have Chelsea at like a nine, because I think that this is right on its way back. But that doesn't change the fact that the reason that that is so high is because this year has been so low. Quick ranks, bounce backs for 2024. There we go. There's the, there's the optimistic one that's coming same, for Chelsea it's fans. Same, it's the same list. <laughs> it's the same list in a different order. <laughs> Gives us an easy episode to do in a few months' time, mate. Like, don't knock it. Don't knock it. But, then, but there we have it. Yeah, the quick ranks, the big fails of 2023. Hope you enjoyed it. Indeed, indeed. And with that, we will bring this episode to an end. It has been shorter. It's supposed to be quick. It was supposed to be quicker than this, but we got into discussions as ever. But for now, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor Parts. This has been Ranks FC Quick Ranks, looking at the big fails of 2023. We'll be back on Wednesday as ever next week with a very special surprise guest making a reappearance. Three guesses but for now thank you so much for listening take it easy gang peace final seconds of the game a chance to score and 
the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.